Father God, we exalt you. Right here today, it is your way. It is your words. It is your will. It is your kingdom. God, we ask that right here in this place that you would do what you would do with the people, that, that your voice would ring loud and clear in our hearts and in our minds, and that while we came in one way, when we walk out, we will be a different way. God, I ask right now that you would come here and you would meet with us, that you would challenge us, that you would strengthen us, that you would grow our faith, that you would grow our love for one another, that you would unite us, Father, as as you and Christ are one, let us be one with you, Father. We give you all of the honor and all of the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 <clears throat> Whew. I think we just joined in something really special there. If you, if you read the book of in Revelation where it talks about the prayers of the saints are right there in the throne room being lifted up like that incense. and I know we don't always feel like saints. So, uh, I'll start here. Um, if, if you weren't here last Sunday, you can hand in your doctor's excuse to my wife and we'll see if we give you an excuse to absence or not. <clears throat> I'm just kidding, partially. Last week was really interesting and so um, in that vein, we now, we, we now own a baptism tank. So, if at some point during this process you start feeling that pull toward getting baptized, if you would, you could grab me or Steve or Jamie or Desi or somebody and just say, hey, I feel this is leading this way and we can bring it in and fill it up. If we have to do it every week, we'll do it every week, whatever we have to do. Um, I thought last week was a really powerful, powerful experience and um it just reminded me that I have to get out of the way and let God do things, okay? I'll go into that a little more because I, I think I learned something last Well, I, I don't think I'm the only one. And I also want to encourage you that if you're here and you're prayed for if, um, and you feel like nothing happened, give it time. God's moving. God's working. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes the results come later. So, Let's jump into um, Acts 2. I'm going to read like 22 through 41. And then we're going to talk about it. I know I, I touched on a little bit of this last week, but God really convicted me on a couple things this week. And Anyway. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Naz Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption." 
You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that his throne, let's see, that he would not, he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witness. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So last week I touched on this just, a little, just for a little bit because what a hard message this is that was delivered here. He starts off right at, right at the beginning saying, men of Israel, and, and, and professing the fact of who Jesus is, and he says, you know that he was because you saw these signs, you saw these wonders, you knew who he was. And then he goes on to say that you crucified, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. And he actually doubles down on it again a little bit later and says um, that you are the ones, you are the ones who killed Jesus. And I, I mentioned this last week that that's not a message just for them at that time. I told you last week that I can look at the mirror and say that if every other man in history had lived a perfect life, that I have, I have fallen short. And so Jesus' death and sacrifice was for me. I'm just as much a cause of that as they were then, even though they're the ones that ultimately took him there. It's really God who did it. And there's, there's a couple things that I want to touch on because that is a very tough message. But right at the beginning there, you'll see that it says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It wasn't like God 
created mankind and then all of a sudden was like, oh snap, I didn't see this coming. What do I do now? We're going to try and figure out this Hail Mary pass in order to save these people. It was God's definite plan and His foreknowledge. He knew it from the beginning. It was always the point. He always knew that you and I would fall short, that we, we wouldn't live up to what His standard was. And so from the very beginning, He had a deliberate plan and foreknowledge of what was coming. And so while this is a very difficult message to absorb, it's absolutely crucial that we as Christians come to understand the fact that we were sinners. You notice I'm saying were because if through faith I've accepted Christ, I no longer identify myself as being a sinner. I now identify myself as holy, righteous, and redeemed. And that's the point of where I want each and every one of you to get. That's part of of that armor of God that we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. And so while all of this is hard, when we see that this was a deliberate plan with foreknowledge, we also see that there is a lot of hope in this message. He's quoting David and saying that, I saw the Lord always before me. That He was always at my right hand that I was not shaken because of that, that my heart is glad and my tongue has rejoiced because I know that you will not abandon me to Hades. See, that's the hope that comes from this. It's the reason that I tend to stay so far. In fact, I asked last week during the message, I think it's probably the first time I really talked about hell in a message. It's because that hellfire brimstone message traps so many people in shame and condemnation and and constantly trapped in where do I stand and how do I please God and how do I do this? Am I actually even saved? Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm doomed to damnation because I know what I did this week. What we see in this is he speaks about resurrection and he speaks about life. That's the gospel message. The gospel message is, yes, that is who you are, but that's not who you have to continue being. There is hope. And then the gospel message, as we, through faith, accept Christ, becomes one of life and hope. I still believe, because in this part, this is is one of my favorite parts, is that Peter stands up and speaks so boldly, and it says... Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. There's two things that I saw in this this week. Is, and the one thing, the one reason I really want the Holy Spirit to move is because it says it's the Spirit's job to convict the world of sin. That's why I want desperately for the Holy Spirit to speak through me. But you'll notice that it's, it, the Holy Spirit has come because Pentecost has just happened, so that's part of it. But it's also Peter taking Scripture and properly using Scripture in context and in time to convict the people that this is who Jesus, this is who Jesus is and this is what is said in the Scripture that you all know to prove these things. And so they're so convicted by it. Here's what I want you guys to realize. Um, At the end of this, and I'll go into this a little more, it talks about saving yourselves from a corrupt generation. 
I don't think they were any different than we are right now. We're hard-hearted, we're apathetic, we're numb to sin, we're numb to death, we're numb to pain, we're numb to misery. I say that because we're silent in the face of it. Something like 60 million babies aborted. Like, I mean, it's like how, how, how many it happens and we're just numb to it. We're, in fact, in fact we, we crave movies that has more violence and more death and more pain and more torture and more killing. I mean, good grief, I can't even hardly watch commercials for movies anymore because it seems to just be going farther and farther and farther down that trail as we become so desensitized to it as people. Sin becomes so normal that we've become people right here in the position that I'm in. We've just begun to just say that it's okay. We just pander to it and we just say we have to accept everyone as they are. That's not the message of the gospel or the Bible, by the way. But he also convicted me of something because sometimes I speak really boldly. And in this moment, last week, last week was a big moment where I said, you know, your response is up to each individual. And that, that's a weekly thing, right? I mean, that's nothing new. But their response here in this moment is, as their heart is broken, they say, what shall we do? And the first thing he says is repent. Last week I talked about repentance and I talked about it in a way that made it seem easy, right? Like, oh man, all you have to do is you're walking this way, you're dead and you're in sin and now you repent and you turn and you walk this way and it seems like it's so simple. And in some parts it will be. There will be some parts of your life that will be easy to turn and walk away from, but there will be others where when you get there and you try to turn, there's going to be a constant pull back toward that. And so there will be times in your life where you will take three steps forward and two steps backwards. There will be times in your life where you'll take one step forward and eight steps backwards. The point of repentance is that you understand now that I'm a sinner and so there becomes some resistance to it instead of you just willy-nilly running down that path towards sin, death, and destruction. Repentance will be a lifelong process. Because not only will you battle things that you used to battle, there will be new things that rise up. If you don't believe me, just, just look at like pastors who, who, who were so strong and faithful in the Lord who fell from grace. Because as you move along, there's going to be new temptations arise, new things that come up, new opportunities, new, new sin will present themselves. New fiery darts will be thrown at you. I want you to learn to give yourself grace and mercy and forgiveness. 
as you walk in this, there's times that you're going to feel like, man, I've got this all figured out. And then you're going to step off the edge of a cliff and you're going to feel like, man, I really failed people. And the thing you're going to have to do is pick yourself up, dust yourself off, apologize to people you need to apologize to, repent to the one you really need to repent to, and then get back on the path moving forward. The next thing I want to hit on just real quick again is that he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Your sins will be forgiven and you will, listen to what it says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and who for all, for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That promise is for everyone. Do you notice that? It doesn't say those that the apostles interact with. It doesn't say those who are in this time. It says even those who are far off. Think of that as time. Not just distance. You will receive the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm telling you that Last week was a beginning of something in your life if you, if you stepped out in a new way. So, they say here toward the end, he says, um, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Does anybody see any parallels to where we live right now? Has anybody paid any attention to the news media, to the government, to the school systems, to the, what else, what else can I name? Um, oh, I, I wrote some things down that I probably shouldn't say. You look at things that like we lifted up, like, like the Boy Scouts of America that ends up being just this large, like, like pedophilia was just rampant in it. And instead of them doing anything about it, it's kind of like a church that I won't name that just sort of shifts people around and they try to hide and they try to protect and they allow just blatant debauchery to go on. I mean, like we're living in a super corrupt generation. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. But we're living in this corrupt generation and they specifically say here to save yourself from this corrupt generation. My, this in, in my translation here, it says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His Word were baptized and they were added to them 3,000 and that, that's a significant number. But I want to talk about the response because we're getting back to the simplicity of being a Christian. I want to get back to the gospel is really simple. It's really easy to digest. And, and being a Christian is much easier than we make it out to be. So I want to look at the, the response that they made. So they repent and they're baptized. But that's not where it stops. Let's go on into 42 and I'm going to read 42 through 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it's not repent and be baptized and now you've punched your ticket to heaven so now you just be who you are. There's still a further response. They devoted themselves. I do, I do want to mention that it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, but it doesn't just mean they devoted themselves to that. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and they devoted themselves to the prayers or praying. They devoted themselves to that. I actually looked up that word um, in the original because, you know, sometimes lost in translation. But it means continually devoting themselves. Constant, steadfast, attentive. I can't even read my own handwriting. Continuing all the time, they persevered. They were showing oneself courageous. It was a constant readiness and a wait on constantly. There's something I saw last week as we went through the service. God gave me this prearranged destination, right? Like you're going to go from here to here to here to here. And as I went through it as a pastor, it's like the response was minimal. And just to be totally honest, it was that way through the entire time that I spoke. And then when we got to the end, I just felt God saying, now wait for it. And I actually sort of paced back and forth up here and I felt really awkward and I kept looking at my wife because if you all haven't realized that, my wife is my person. I kept looking at her like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Some people are leaving. This is awkward. What do I do? And God just kept saying, wait, wait. And finally, I was like, all right, if I'm waiting, I'm going to sit down. So I grabbed a chair and I pulled it up here and I sat down. And then I saw it. That's when I saw it. When I got out of the way and I sat down where you're not distracted by me, where I'm not the focus, I saw was men going to other men and laying their hands on them and men just melting. I saw men just letting it go and laying it down. I saw God working through other men. This is the biblical example saw Richard in particular who would go, because Richard isn't one who lays hands and openly prays for people, but he would go and grab somebody who does, and he would say, hey, here's this person over here by themselves. We need to go pray for him. And when you did, you saw God show up in the midst of that. I think in our lives we get too busy. We get to thinking, 
I need to do A, B, C, and D, and then God will respond. Instead of us saying, I'm going to show up, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to be devoted to these things. Because resting in the Lord and abiding in Him isn't just like a, a uh, passive thing. No, 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 no. I'm going to devote myself to the apostles' teaching. I'm going to devote myself to the fellowship. Can I talk about fellowship for a second? Because I think fellowship is really misunderstood. I think fellowship is such a one-way street in most people's mind. Most people want to, they think they're going to walk in this church and everyone else is going to fellowship with them. Fellowship is a, it's a, it's a process. Number one, I have to be willing to let you into my life. I have to be willing for you to let me into your life. But I can't expect you to do all of the work. I have to be pursuing that just as much as you're pursuing it. I'm bad at this, by the way. I can show you my phone. Almost all my text messages start out incoming and then they're outgoing. I'm not good at this. But so often people come to church and they feel alone and they feel rejected and they feel all these things because they sit back off to the side and they sort of exclude themselves and they want other people in their lives, but they're hesitant. I don't blame you. It's, it's a scary thing. It's, it is. But you have to be willing to step into that. You have to be willing to be the one that reaches out. And here's part of why I say that. Part of why I say that is because I've seen too many people in my position get like sort of looked over. Anybody who's strong, Sunday school teachers, leaders in the church, all of a sudden everybody's coming to you and the text message is always, hey, how are you doing? But it's not actually, how are you doing? It's like, hey, I need to talk to you about how I'm doing and this is how I know to start a conversation. So how are you doing? And then they just, I'm not sure they even read how you're actually doing. Instead, it's then they come right back with their problems and their issues and all of this. Not that I'm saying you shouldn't do that. Please, please don't misunderstand me. But what I'm saying is sometimes I think that we forget that while I may feel weak, those people who appear strong may need a moment for me to speak life into them. That, that's the church in action. It's why it cannot be a one-way street. It's also why we so need people who are outgoing. <laughs> Because that's not me, right? <laughs> I'm not good at that. But we need those people stepping out in those strengths to pull people in. Because some of us, I always said this, when I started going to church, I wanted to come into the back row. I wanted to sit down. I wanted to hear a message. And I wanted to slip right back out that door without anybody even being sure that I was there. And the church struggles if that's, if that's, if that's what we do. Another part is that we see they devoted themselves to breaking bread together. We intentionally, we intentionally decided to have monthly lunches here at church. Not because it's convenient. Not because we just like to eat. But because there's something about the intimate setting of setting down and having dinner together that allows for a conversation to happen. I want to encourage you that as we do that, to sit with people that you don't normally sit with. 
Start conversations that you wouldn't normally start. Don't, don't just talk about surface things. Dig in, get to know each other. This, this is also why I think men's group and women's group going into people's homes, it's an inter- intimate, vulnerable setting that this building is not. When you allow someone to come into your house, they might go into your bathroom and snoop through your medicine cabinet. <laughs> Are medicine cabinets even a thing anymore? I don't know. I mean, I think now we all hide them in the kitchen, like in a cabinet, because we know that people are snooping through the medicine cabinet in the bathrooms, right? But there is something about that. They might see a dust bunny under your couch, heaven forbid. They might see that your paint is scratched, that you're smudged windows. They may see those things about you. Come on now, I'm not the only one, right, where it takes a six-week cleaning to allow people into your house, right? We have to purge all of the unclean stuff out of our house. (laughs) Sorry. I'm just not right sometimes in my own mind. But there is something about breaking bread together. And really, in the Jewish context, it was even more intimate, right? Even more so than where we are now. You'll also notice that they devoted themselves to praying. And if you put it really in context, it's not just individually praying. Because they're together all of the time. I mean, I don't know how these people work jobs. It says every day they went to temple. They broke bread in each other's houses constantly. I do, by the way, really see this happening in this body, and it's part of why I'm so excited One day this week, I randomly was in Centralia and I see two guys from this church meeting to have coffee like in the middle of the morning on a work day together. And I ended up standing on the sidewalk and talking to them for I don't know how long. I mean, people were, we were in everybody's way. I see it happening. I see people going to lunch together, having supper together. And I think this is critical, but but this is talking about prayer in the corporate setting. I think there's something powerful about standing in a group of people and praying out loud together. Because now you're allowing me to see a vulnerable glimpse into your heart. Because once I start talking to God, it just becomes this conversation and my heart just leaks out. I can't help it. And so what you're going to do is all of a sudden your worries and your concerns, if we do this consistently, your worries and your concerns are going to slip out and now I'm going to learn better how to pray for you because I see where your heart is. Because in a 10-minute, like a 10-minute interaction after church, you can pull the wool over my eyes most of the time. But when we get real and authentic in these moments, and your life just leaks out, then I can really get to see you. It was then as I looked through this and I processed it, and really it was last night and this morning as I mentally processed all of these things in my mind that I saw that these are the things that they did. They repent, they're baptized, And then they devote themselves to these things. And then we see what ends up coming out of that. 
So it says they devoted themselves to these things. And then 43 starts, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's what would happen if you and I began to really pray together. If the Spirit of God is inside of me, and I love you, and you love me, and our heart is broken for those outside of, out there who don't know God, who are far from God, then we're going to have all things in common because all of a sudden, my work is not as important. Me killing a really big deer is not as important. The Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, while still important, is not as important. The Swifties taking my seats and causing the price to go up, not as important. Stop it. Get over it. <clears throat> Sorry. I won't even bring up somebody. I won't, don't even go there. Stop it, brain. Stop. Okay, let me get back on course here. They had all things in common. And listen, you want to talk about a sign and a wonder that the world would be amazed at. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. It doesn't say a new law was passed that took more of their money in taxes and gave to the, <laughs> the poor as the government saw fit. It says that they were willing to sell all of their possessions, their, all of this stuff, and distributing the proceeds. Can you imagine the message that gives to the world? Day by day, they're attending the temple. They're breaking bread in their homes. They receive food. This is what comes out of it. All of a sudden, they're receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. This is just what naturally comes out of them devoting themselves to these things. It's just what naturally happens because when we put ourselves in that process and we grow in the Spirit, these things are going to happen. And you want to talk about generosity, man. I cannot, I cannot imagine selling my possessions and bringing the money here and just laying it down and says, who has a need? How many of you can imagine doing that with just your 10%? Let's not go there. Let's not, let's not talk about money, tithing. <laughs> Nobody likes to hear that. Not only this, they're praising God. How could they not? How could we not praise God if we showed up here on Sunday and there's nobody here that's hungry? There's nobody here who has a need. There's nobody here who feels like they're an outcast. There's nobody here who feels like they're rejected. There's nobody here that feels alone. There's nobody here that feels vulnerable. There's nobody here that feels any of that baggage, any of that stuff. Why? Because they're just consumed in this love and provision. How could we not be glad and sincere? How could we not praise God? And then it says that because of these things, they have favor with all the people. Ooh. 
Does the church have favor with all of the people right now? Mm -mm. In fact, I think sometimes we as Christians, we take that, uh, you know, a prophet was without honor in his hometown and these things like uh, the world's going to hate you because they hate me. And so then we just try to figure out how to be as controversial and hateful as possible so that we can be rejected by the world so I can feel like I connected Jesus a little bit more. And then the natural, the natural thing that happened You know what? I don't see a t single tent revival here. I don't know why that just hit me. I don't see a tent revival. I don't see a Facebook post. I don't see... I just see people living devoted to God. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. What happened last week was that I saw the love of God on people. I saw when people got baptized, people truly rejoicing and happy and full, just full of gladness at that moment in people's lives. I saw some people who sat back in their chairs and were a little bit alone and that when another brother cared enough to walk over and put their hands on them. Can you imagine what that would do to the world right now that hates each other? That we've put each other in boxes. I mean, we've put each other in boxes so much that churches say if you're a Democrat, you can't be a Christian. And I'm going to probably say that if you are a Democrat in church, you're probably saying if you're a Republican, you can't be a Christian. And then we paint ourselves in these boxes. We paint ourselves in boxes of race, uh, uh, you name it. What is it gaining us? What does it gain us? What if we, what if we actually did that? What if we actually said, I'm, I'm going to put this into practice? I can't force the whole congregation to do it. I'm talking in your head right now, just you as an individual. Like, I'm sitting in a seat. I, I can't force anybody to do it. I can't, I can't force the whole church to continually devote to them, themselves to these things. But you can force yourself to do it. You can say, you know what? I'm going to constantly and steadfastly and unrelenting, I'm going to persevere. And there's something else. It says that 
I'm going to show oneself courageous. I'm going to show myself courageous in doing this. That no matter what comes from it, no matter if anybody follows, no matter if anybody cares, no matter if any, any, of, any results come out of it, I'm going to continue doing it. I'm going to be in constant readiness. I'm going to continually wait. I can do this in my home. I can be the one who nobody in church has invited me to break bread, but my phone works the other way and I can invite someone else to come and break bread in my home. So what if my home is dirty? So, so, so what? I, I can devote myself to fellowship. I can I can reach into someone else's life whether they're willing to accept it or not. I can be a thorn in their side. I can ask them daily, how can I pray for you? I can ask them daily, how is work going? I mean, maybe not daily. That may be a little too full-fledged, right? Maybe weekly. Every other day, maybe. Let's, let's go into it easy. I can devote myself to prayer. I can say that when we meet together for breaking bread and for fellowship, that maybe they don't want to pray, but I'm going to push the matter. I'm not going to ask somebody to pray that's not comfortable doing it out loud, but I'm going to call for a time of prayer before we, before we leave. I'm going to do that. In my home, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. What if we did that? What if we began to look at our possessions in a country that is the richest country in the world? I know you don't feel like it anymore. What if we said, my possessions are not mine, God, they're yours, you do with them what you will? Ugh. What message would that send the people out there? That's, that's the signs and the wonders the world needs to see. People, they've lost community. They've lost the tight-knit families. They've, they've lost that. They've lost seeing men hug each other, to see women praying for one another, to see... Well, to be honest, to see men being men and women being women, and I don't mean that in a weird confusion type of way. I mean us standing up and being who God has called us to be. You don't see Rambo in the Bible, even though I want to. So you know our altars are open all the time now again at least until God closes them again. And I want to give you that opportunity if you want prayer. I've just been thinking a lot about this concept of... Um, how much we disqualify ourselves.
Because what we have a tendency to do is doubt ourselves, and therefore we doubt the ability that God could possibly use me for anything good. It's the Apostle Paul, right? He says, why do I do what I don't want to do? And I don't do what I want to do? He's like one of the biggest guys that we all want to live up to in the Bible, and that's what he's saying. So why, why do we hold ourselves back and hold ourselves down? I guess the big thing for me in all of this is surrender. Because when you do that, when you have self-doubt, you're really not holding down what you can personally do. You're holding up, holding down what God can do through you. That's the whole purpose. Is that I, in and of myself, pretty much can't do anything for the glory of God. But if I'm willing to surrender my will for His, my glory for His, my purpose for His, and I allow His Spirit to work through me, that all things are possible. So today, if you have some prayer you need, if you're struggling with, maybe you're struggling with that hard message, understanding that you're a sinner. Maybe, maybe you understand you're a sinner, but now you're struggling with letting go of identifying with being a sinner and moving on into that next natural step of the process that you're holy, you're righteous, you're redeemed, you are wholly forgiven. Or maybe there's something that's keeping you from devoting yourself fully to this. Maybe there's something that's holding you back from allowing yourself to be devoted to fellowshipping with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever it is, Father God, right now as we enter into this last song, I ask that your spirit would work on your people. I ask that if there's those who are needing prayer, whether it be for spiritual or physical, that they have the boldness to step out of their seat, to come forward, and that there's those of us who love them enough to lay it down and to come together and lay hands on people and pray. Father God, let your, let your spirit speak louder than the doubts. Let your spirit speak louder than the self-condemnation. Let your spirit speak louder than whatever baggage we carried in here today. Let it move in our midst as we come back into worship, giving all of the honor and all of the glory to your holy name.